welcome Browns fans to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. It's the best time of the year, the off season. We got a new head coach. I am joined by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. I am here. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. The off season is where I feel really comfortable. <laughs> I feel alive. Feels, <laughs> I haven't been happier. I, <laughs> feels like home. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, well, uh, we talked to an individual who wasn't as happy as we are. Uh, our grandfather. Uh, we like to call him every week, and we figure there's all this Browns news. We know that Grandpa's going to have an opinion on it, and we know you care about that more than listening to us. So here's Grandpa. Hello. Hey, Grandpa. It's Matthew. How are you? <laughs> oh, Matthew. Well, What's happening? Oh, well, not a whole lot. There's some some news happening in the Browns world, though, so I figured I'd give you a call, see what, see what you were thinking. Well, I'm uh, a little bit... Uh disappointed i think the way oh. things are headed why is that well i uh i think that uh i think that haslam is uh is trying to be a budinsky and micromanage uh, the uh the, the team he's going to make uh 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 what's his face uh stefanski yeah he makes the stefanski uh Meet him every after every game for a couple hours and discuss the game and everything. And uh, uh, I don't know this deep Potessa. I don't. I don't know if he's going to be sticking his nose in it. I don't think they need any information from him. So I, I really, I really don't know if how things are going to work out. I, I even, I even sent your father an email the other day, and I told him I says. I says I don't know. I says but if I was Stefanski, I says I think I'd wait a couple of days and tell uh, tell Haslam to shove it, and I'd, and I'd walk away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I I can't see this thing going the right way unless unless they leave Stefanski alone and let him coach and keep their damn nose out of the play calling. Uh, uh, from what I've read, I'm not surprised that Stefanski uh, even uh, had, uh, agreed to those kind of terms and conditions. You know, uh, I'm I'm surprised. I really am. And uh, what do you think, Grandpa? Hey, this is Michael. So my question is: If you owned the Cleveland Browns, would you have any meetings with the head coach? Uh, probably, but not not. Not mandatory meetings for every after every game. Uh, I leave the I leave the coach. Let him let him coach. What are you paying him for? Keep your damn nose out of it. If if you if you knew that much as an owner about about the game plans, then you don't need a head coach. You know, don't be a Budinsky. Let the head coach coach and stay the hell out of there. You know, there must be another Jerry Jones or something. Always. Got his nose in everything, you know. Um, I, I, I think there's uh, a. I I think you need to help translate something for me. I think there's a generational like a discord here. I don't understand what a Padinsky is. What's a Padinsky? A Budinsky. <laughs> but Budinsky. But, buddy, buddy into everything. Budding in. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> so I I hope that things have smoothed out a little bit, but right now. I'm a little apprehensive about how things are going to go. I, if, if things are going to keep going the way 
I've been reading about it. I, I think that Stefanski might get a little bit uh, pissed about the whole situation. So, but don't you have to take, don't you have to take solace in the fact that, granted, the Browns have been through this a million times. We hire and fire coaches like, like it's their job. Um, but this is the first time that Haslam has kind of hired the coach that De Podesta has suggested. Like, he's handpicked to work well together. Like, I feel like for the first time in the last four years or so, um, they're kind of coming from a similar viewpoint on, like, how to approach running an organization. Yeah, but if you recall, Haslam said that this time they were not going to hire any any coach that didn't have prior NFL head coaching experience. No, 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 no. What he said was they're going to go after a coach with NFL experience. He didn't say anything about a head coaching experience. I think he did. No, he didn't. I, I, that, he didn't. No, no, he did not. No, he did not, Grandpa. But so, I do think that you're not alone in hearing that that's what he said. I think a lot of people heard Haslam say, we're going after a coach with NFL experience, and they heard head coaching experience because of what we just went through with Freddie Kitchens. And everyone's knee-jerk reaction is to go and run to the exact opposite of what, you know, the failure that you just witnessed. Well, well, we'll see. I don't know. I, uh, I Right now, I'm a little apprehensive about the way things are turning out. Uh, I think I think they've gone down this road before, and I think they're I think they're going down the same damn road again. I uh, really don't uh, don't know if that's the thing to do. I think that the, I, I think that McDaniel would have been a good hire for them. I think, but uh, you know that's that's my that's my thinking. I have nothing against Stefanski, but uh, I, I I don't know if they put the same they put the same restrictions on McDaniel if he'd have been there. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's why things didn't work out with some of these, with some of these uh, uh, interviews that they had because of, of all, of, because they they put all the restrictions on the head coach and that he was going to be under the gun and it looks it sounded like they were going to be micromanaged when it was came to coaching, you know. Yeah. So, Grandpa, do you think that maybe a lot of these negative reports could be coming from Josh McDaniels or his agent? because they're bitter that he didn't get the job. No, uh, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think that uh, I would have thought, you know, that it said that, that the Belichick wouldn't let McDaniel uh, move his interview, interview. Yeah. He wouldn't let him interview until the very last day. Now, you know that alone could have would have prevented McDaniel from maybe hiring on with somebody else, which didn't happen. You know because he wasn't available. And I, 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 uh, I think that that was really a rotten on the part of Belichick to do that because he, he could have he could have landed a coaching job. You know, there was one of five five teams looking for coaches, and and I think he could have he could have landed one of them relatively easy. And uh, so now he's now he's back with the back with the Patriots and everything, and there's probably going to be a little animosity there because of what Belichick made him do or, or prevented him from doing, you know. So yeah, no, well, no, for sure. I think Josh McDaniels is probably 
a little salty from how this whole situation went down on both sides. I mean, I, I think yeah. he's upset that he didn't get the job. I think he's probably upset that uh, Belichick didn't let him interview. And this was the best timing window for him to secure a job, most likely. I mean, Brady's declining. Yeah. Like, this is kind of who knows what's going to happen. Brady's not even signed to the Patriots next year. So he might be back as the offensive coordinator for a team trying to groom a, some new young, you know, quarterback. Yeah. And it's a completely different ballgame. I think he saw this as a window for him to make the jump away from the Belichick tree. And it, yeah. it didn't really work out. Well, I think that I, I would seriously think that he'd still be on the lookout. I, uh, leaving, leaving the Patriots over there. I really do. I think he's got to be pissed about what, what happened over there. You know? I mean, you, you he had an opportunity to be a head coach someplace, and Belichick prevented him from doing it. And uh, when, as soon as as soon as Haslam let him go back home after Friday interview with his wife, I figured, well, he interviewed everybody, or eight, eight of them already. And if he didn't know by then uh, that the, the McDaniel was going to be the guy, then that was it. If he was going to hire him, I think he did. He'd have kept them right there, and uh, I, uh, I just, I, I, he must have had his mind. Was deep, deep Tesla, he was, uh, he's, he's got Haslam's ear too, you know. Now I don't know, I don't know what what kind of a football mind this guy has. Sure, he wanted Stefanski last, he Stefanski last time, so that's what I, that's what he says he does. So I don't know, you know, is is Deep Podesta he, played football at Harvard? Did you know that? now yeah but but uh it's all right uh i just don't know you know if if Pete had haslam's ear about everything uh i just i just wonder you know if that's a good thing i i i i don't know haslam is really uh the owner that we need i sometimes i wonder if if this if this guy uh isn't sure which way is up uh, I hope he made a good decision here for his for the sake of the Browns, you know. And I I, I certainly hope it works out. Uh, but I, I don't know. Now, I haven't I haven't heard anything about. Of course, uh, 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 Mayfield hasn't said anything. I don't know how he feels about Stefanski. I don't know. But uh, have you heard anything? No, I I haven't. I don't think Baker said anything publicly. I can't imagine he feels one way or the other about it. Uh, yeah, well, I, don't, I don't think they know each other particularly well. I, I think if I was him, I would be happy because of the system that Stefanski's bringing. It's pretty quarterback yeah, friendly. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope so. What do you, well, <laughs> we got to go here in a second, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the Browns firing John Dorsey? Um, before this coaching search, and then looking for another GM. Well, I I, I don't know. I think I, I think that Haslam was was uh, it was a little bit perturbed about him because because Dorsey was the one that wanted uh, Freddie, you know, and I think that that turned sour and that sort of soured him on Dorsey. Uh, you know, Dorsey did Dorsey had a, made some good hires and everything, but that, that was a pretty that was a pretty uh, big decision to make when 
Owens, originally they wanted Stefanski, you know, and uh, Dorsey overruled everybody, and they and they made and they uh, hired Freddie. So I think they had a big thing to do with uh, with Haskell getting rid of him. And Grandpa, I just sent you a link to the Deep Podesta interview from today. I want you to watch that interview when whenever you get fifteen minutes. And I think I'm interested to hear your feedback after that. See if it um, eases any of your concerns about him in particular. Well, I think things might work out all right if if uh, the owner keeps his nose out of it, and lets the coach coach. And that's uh, that's. I think that's feeling. perfectly fair. That's perfectly uh, fair. If Jimmy Haslam's trying to coach, then we're in a bad we're in a bad way. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm thinking, guys. So, well, I, th- I think that's smart. So we'll let you go. We we got to run here. We're on a time crunch, but uh, we'll give you a call um, sometime soon. Okay, guys. Thanks for calling. Okay. See you, Grandpa. Bye bye. Bye bye. He heard us the whole time that time. Yeah. I love Grandpa because he so perfectly represents Browns fans across Cleveland. The He's. It's like Brown's Twitter embodied. Yeah. But I'm actually not going to lie. He's, I mean, he pronounces people's names wrong all the time and stuff like that. But like, cause you know, he's just reading it and like he's Stefanski Stefanski. He's pretty decently informed for an 84 year old man. He's, like, he's, he's well read. Dad is. He's, he's yeah. well read. Yes. Like he reads everything that, must that be gets what he put does. out on the yeah. mainstream outlets about yep. the Browns. Like he knows what's yeah. going on. If it's on cleveland.com, he's read it. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. We, we need him to be reading a little more Doug Maurice and a little less Mary Kay Cabot. <laughs> I wonder if he reads the Ellis Williams like uh, film not. review ones or not. Definitely Terry Pluto. Definitely Mary oh, Kay. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He I, would read Tony Grossi if he knew where he was working. Yeah. No, he doesn't pay for the land on demand. I oh, don't think. No. <laughs> did y'all did y'all see the Grossi thing where somebody tweeted him? Or texted him like a tip that the oh, Browns yeah. were talking to that like Priceless. Canadian football just baited coach. him, baited him, and then he like put it out there that the Browns were talking to him. It's amazing. I didn't see that. You didn't see this? No, it's unbelievable. And it's all behind a paywall. Some, it's like some, paying for this some shit. dude texted Tony Grossi saying that he oh. got word he got yeah. word that this coach was being you know Tony just by ran the, with it. He did yep. He's, in that he didn't text qualify thread, he the source like, at all. Let me just say it's someone intimately involved with the Browns and Ohio State or something like that. I saw that. Um, well, one of the things that Grandpa was adamant about was that he wants Jimmy Haslam to be out of all these things. And he thinks that Jimmy Haslam is um, meddling in all these things, which I think is a fairly legitimate case that a lot of Browns fans feel. But I want to make the case that I think Jimmy Haslam is actually taking a step back and has, this is an optimistic case, I'll say, but he has learned from his past mistakes and won't continue to do them. Because, all right, so... I'll step in in a second. I have a yeah, He hasn't actually thought. made a case yet, so... Yeah, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> so, so go back to whenever... It was clear that um, Jimmy Haslam really wanted us to hire Hugh Jackson against the better judgment of Paul D. Podesta. And then after he did that, it was obviously a dumpster fire and it did not go well. So then the next time it rolled around where we had to hire a coach, he deferred to the general manager. And he said that John Dorsey is going to be making the decision on the head coach. He said, I'm not going to make that decision. So I think that he's decided I'm not going to pull in. I'm not going to pull rank in this situation anymore, even though he did in the past. 
There was also the situation where Johnny Manziel, when he decided that we were going to draft Johnny Manziel and he forced Ray Farmer to do it mm-hmm. and he pulled the trigger on Johnny Manziel. That was a disaster. Are we sure Ray Farmer wasn't going to do it by himself? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we can be certain. Um, but that was a disaster. And I think that Jimmy Haslam probably learned a valuable lesson from that. And he's like, I'm never going to intervene in a draft process again because that's, that's not my place. And so, so then John Dorsey picks Freddie Kitchens and that obviously went very, very poorly. And he looks back at all of these decisions and he says, who I have not listened to consistently and gone with the advice of is Paul D. Podesta, who has been here the entire time. So he, while he was on the coaching search committee, I think he was just a pat, like a stander by. Like, I think he wants to be in those meetings because he's Jimmy Haslam and he loves football and he loves hearing about everything that's going on, but he's not meddling in everything. I think he's saying, Hey, this is like I'm gonna defer to your judgment. And it's I'm, it's also perfectly appropriate for the owner to be on oh, that yes. search. Of course. Meeting. Of course, for sure. But I think that Jimmy Haslam has now made just about every mistake that you can make for our GM, for our starting quarterback, first pick in the draft, and for our head coach. And he's not gonna he hasn't proven that he's going to make that same mistake again. At least he hasn't. So my assessment of this, I largely agree with what you're saying. My assessment of this is that he's actually taking... He, yes, I agree with you that he's kind of going, putting his hat in the Paul D. Podesta corner now for the first time, like truly. Like I think he's viewed him as an advisor throughout this whole thing and has chosen to not always go in the direction that Paul has you know, advised in the past. And now I think he's going full force in that direction. I think he saw... you know, He probably a few weeks ago was like, huh. I've got this guy, Paul Podesta on my team, and he's pretty dang smart. And I've got this guy, John Dorsey, on my team, and he's kind of a doofus. If I keep both of them, it's not going to work. And he chose Paul Podesta. Like, I think yeah. legitimately, like, he just made that decision. He's like, for this thing to work long term, like, I got to go in one direction or the other. I'm going with Paul Podesta. And so he went that direction, and they had a very systematic, process-driven head coaching search that took longer than our other ones have it didn't result in a quick emotional like let's hire this guy let's not leave let him leave berea and make sure that we get it make sure we get it locked down they interviewed everybody and then they took a deep breath and they figured out who was going to be best for the browns based on the process they had set forward and the criteria they had set forth from the very beginning well, and this all fell very favorably to the Browns because of some decisions that other teams made. The Cowboys right. hiring Mike McCarthy. Yep. Probably the only other coach that got hired that was even a candidate for the Browns job. Yep. yep. The, the Panthers hired Matt Rule, who refused an interview for the, with Browns, and then the Giants hired Joe Judge. That's such an interesting so, decision. But, he, but, but here's what it relates to Haslam. As it relates to Haslam, let me just say, yeah. real quick. I actually think in some ways he is stepping in a little bit more just from like being active and listening so that he can judge what's going on. I don't know that he's stepped in and said, I want to be involved in like a weekly rundown after each game like he is right now, because I think he has seen and it's been reported pretty widely that he is so easily influenced yes. by the voices of yes. other people. You know what I mean? So he, he sees something going wrong and then he goes and talks to everybody because he wants lots of information and then he like makes a decision. 
he can't make the decision for himself because he hasn't been as involved. And I think he's trying to insert himself into the middle to be able to properly assess it for the first time. And so in some ways, I don't think he's actually stepping back like you initially said. He's putting himself into the middle of it, but I don't get the impression it's because he wants to pull lots of strings. I think it's because he wants to have like true information. Yes. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I hope that's the case that, but he's always wanted to be involved. And as long as he's in a room with like the players, like the GM, Mm -hmm. Paul DePodesta and the coach all at the same time, and is hearing all their perspectives, then that's great. Then that's great. But, but you look, yeah, that's what I, I think that Jimmy Haslam just freaking wants to win. And, like, his ego's taking a he, shot he over also, the course of time. He also you know? loves football. Like, he, he fancies himself, like, a, a successful, knowledgeable football person. Are you like, saying this based on your interaction with him? Because you have spoken to him before. No, I've, I've talked to his dad. Okay, I've his spent dad. A, a, an afternoon with his dad drinking in <laughs> Nantucket, uh, which was wonderful. <laughs> um, but from what I've heard from people who know him for through the University of Tennessee, like he's influential there, like makes his voice known. And I think he wants Vols, to win. How do the Vols fans feel about Jimmy Haslam? They don't like him at all. They hate that guy. Yeah. I think he wants to win, and it, he's super competitive, and he's out to prove that he's like capable of doing this in a football environment. Yeah. And I think the driving factor is him winning, and it's like ego-driven. There's lots, of, like, lots that goes on there. But so many Browns fans are so pissed at Jimmy Haslam, and somewhat legitimately. But I think that if Stefanski goes and leads us to the playoffs this year, I also think that Haslam is really cognizant of not wanting a bunch of turnover and has seen firsthand from his time as a partial owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers like how important continuity is. Like He's talked about it so many times, how they want to have a consistent team and continuity. And... If we get a, just a taste of winning, I think he's going to stick with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think he steps back at that point. He's, he like, he like to just go watch his we little did kingdom it. We did it. go. No, yeah. here's my thing that all the Browns fans are freaking out. They're like, Jimmy Haslam, exactly like Grandpa said, Jimmy is way too entrenched in every single thing that's going on, and he's forcing these meetings and stuff like that. All of the reports were that Jimmy Haslam was in love with Josh McDaniels, that that's who he wanted. And that's not who we hired. And so, like, all these reports are saying now all of a sudden Jimmy Haslam is way too involved. The result is the exact opposite of that. Which is why it makes me feel great. In my mind, that everyone's saying that. Yeah, so the, my biggest concern down the final stretch is this. The last podcast we recorded, we talked about who, are like, our favorite coaches were at the time. Matthew was the one that wanted Stefanski more than anyone else. Ding! A winner. At the time, I at the time I said Josh McDaniels. Two and zero on the year. <laughs> at the time, I said Josh McDaniels, and but that I was really high on Stefanski, if I recall correctly. But as time went on, and the Josh McDaniels thing, and some of like the elements that would be at play if McDaniels would come on board, like I started to get real concerned. I just don't like the idea of, especially what we've been through just kind of going all in on on one person like here with the way that the structure is like everything's the division of labor is split you know you bring josh mcdaniels in it's you're giving him the keys to the kingdom and oh after two years if that's not working well guess what you're back to square one. Oh yeah and, and you have no foundation to build on 
and as time went on and I thought about it more throughout the process of all these interviews, what they told us from the beginning of this coaching search was they had a process that they were going to go through and they were going to spread a wide net and they were looking for, you know, some key things. It was working with the team and the people that they had in place, right? It was, um, you know, somebody with NFL experience. And, you know, they had this whole list of all these different things, right? F- famously not NFL head coaching experience like so many people, including Grandpa. But it, was, but it was really clear that they were looking for alignment and they were going to go through a process. And it, all of it spoke of Paul DePodesta. Oh, that's, that's, right. that's like, all he's about. That's right. what he preaches. Like, it's process over it's, results. Like you do exactly. the process the right, you'll eventually get exactly. to the right. And so that result. had me excited. Right, you know, you move on from Dorsey because you're looking for the alignment across the entire organization. Like yep. that, I, I mean, Dorsey is an unbelievable talent evaluator. So, like, you're losing something from your building undeniably by moving on from him. But the rest of everything that comes with him wasn't worth it because they wanted the alignment. Okay, so you go forward and you like look at the organization. You're aligning with what De Podesta has set in place for this whole process, and then you're interviewing all these candidates. But at the same time, it was pretty well documented, as Mark just said, that McDaniels was, has been a longtime favorite of the Haslams. And so as you got down the path, if they veered from what they had said this process was going to be about, and they got through all of this, they went through the process, and then they hired a Josh McDaniels that wanted to blow everything up, and Dee Podesta ends up leaving... Like, that is the point when I freak the heck out about Jimmy Haslam because that dude then all of a sudden loses all credibility because he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And he just literally waffled within like a couple weeks. And so all the Browns fans are clamoring for Josh McDaniels to be hired when, in my personal opinion, that's the worst possible thing that could have been done at that stage of the game given how everything played out. How how funny is it? Like I don't I don't know how many of these people know each other. I wonder if the Haslam's had ever actually met Josh McDaniels and like what did he do in that seven hour interview to be like, yeah, no, I actually don't like you. Didn't they? They interviewed him back in like two, like they wanted on. to interview him in twenty fourteen, but it didn't. Oh, and then happen. he pulled out. Then he pulled out of consideration. You're right. Uh, yeah, that is funny. Like. Like, I want to know, actually, the part of this process that it seems like uh, existed is that there was, I mean, and it makes sense, you're coordinating interview, like, when are you going to come in? Like, you've got to coordinate lots of stuff. There's lots of communication before they, like, arrive and are face-to-face, right? But I want to know, and Paul D. Podesta today alluded to um, personality tests and things that they did on all of them, which is great. Like, they should have done that. But, like, I want to know, what is the level of community? Was there, like, a, we want you to come prepared to discuss these topics? Like, there's something like that that's bet, going on. I bet like, there if was. you have questions and things that you want Knowing us Deep to... Knowing that, that... Yeah, I bet you there was, it was a structure pretty, to it. pretty detailed for everybody, is my guess. But I would love to know more about how that whole process was structured, how they made that, an apples-to-apples comparison did for they, all Did they candidates. take the personality test before they showed up, or did they do it like in the room? No, I'm sure the that they did it ahead of time. But it's like Kevin Stefanski's filling out like an online like personality assessment like in the middle I of his break this, in I the middle of his breaks between like game planning for the 49ers. I, I think just, Kevin Stefanski is an Enneagram 3. 
<laughs> That's my guess. Yes. Yes, it feels feels right. Yeah. Sounds good to me. <laughs> that no, I would love to be a fly on the wall and and watch how this process cuz I bet on some level it's really impressive with the level of like like organization and like the yeah. the effort to get it all done. I mean, Jimmy Haslam talked about contacting over 20 references for Kevin Stefanski. Oh, D. Podesta talked about how last year's coaching search started with, I mean, it sounds like the biggest thing they do is talk to people around the entire NFL about who they think of as head coaching material. And they pull, pull all of that information together to get their list of candidates. And that's where Stefanski came from. To. He was like, we didn't know who the heck this guy was last year until we started talking to people and they all talk, raved about his leadership ability and like the type of guy that he is. Which is great. And that's where it came from. And then he ended up being a finalist, right? Like that's where it, that's where it came from. Yeah, but there's a tremendous amount of work. And then I bet there's also an aspect of it where it's kind of like the, the, the wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> like you're like, oh, wait, in an NFL head coaching interview, you're talking about that? Like you're just talking about like your upbringing and like your view of your approach to like work and like stuff. These people aren't like going through scheme. This isn't you're, like you're no. obviously yeah. a capable and competent schematic coach to yeah. get to where you are at this current. No, you're safe, talking about the to same. Even get at the table. You're talking about the same crap that I talk about in a job interview. Yeah. Like oh, it's not. It can't you, be that different. How do you deal yeah. with conflict? Like this is the way that we're thinking about structuring the organization. Like these are going to be your responsibilities. Like what do you think about that? Yeah. Like all of that stuff, and I feel like everybody thinks it's this. Yeah. So that like, was one of the things. Prove your football bona fides. Yeah. And it just can't be. So that was one of the things that excited me most from both the Kevin Stefanski introductory press conference and the Paul D. Podesta one. Is Paul D. Podesta was saying, hey, we're looking for alignment. Everyone, we're all working towards the same thing. And then I watched the Paul D. Podesta one first and then the Kevin Stefanski one. And it was clear to me that neither Paul D. Podesta or Kevin Stefanski is going to have the same problems that we had most notably with Hugh and John Dorsey, that this is uh, ego-free, two people who are not focused on ego and their own personal brand. They are focused on building the Cleveland Browns as a unit. And Paul D. Podesta even specifically said, which we mentioned on the podcast, that Kevin Stefanski is more of like a CEO type coach, that that is what he's doing, and that he is trying to manage and lead this organization well when, when they asked Stefanski about um, whether or not he would be calling plays, I love, he yeah. said, well, it depends on if I feel like I'm the best person to call plays or if we have someone else in the building who is going to be better at calling plays than me, that would put the organization in a better chance to win, which is exactly how you need to be. So I have, I mean, you talk about no ego. You've got De Podesta, whose advice got ignored for two straight coaching searches. And he's and still, still here. And he's still here. You know, like no ego. He doesn't. He doesn't have to be listened to every time for him to to think that it's worthwhile, right? And then you've got Stefanski who got passed up for this job last year and came back and was like, "No, I'm still interested." Yeah. You know, I mean, not holding a grudge. And speaking of no ego, I read a story about when Stefanski got uh, promoted to offensive coordinator. They they brought in Gary Kubiak and others. And there ended up being four people on the offensive staff who had worked with Kubiak and used a certain like um, lingo, yeah. like like nomenclature for how to talk about stuff. Stefanski was the only one who didn't, and he was in charge. 
And he was like, no, we're going to learn the way that you know how to talk about I, it. I'm going to learn. Because one person has to learn it versus four people having to learn it. It's going to be easier. So, like, it's not a his way or the highway. It's like, what's the best way to do this? And that's going to be my way. Which is Paul de Podesta incarnate. It's we're going to look at every single possible data point. We're going to identify and have a practical approach to how this is going to work. And that's going to inform our decision. Oh, I, I loved hearing Stefanski talk about information and yeah. like data and information is, is power. Yeah. And he's like, I want to he's be able to make the power. I want to be able to make the best informed decisions that we can at every step of the way. Yeah. And he showed up last night and it, he kind of alluded to it. He didn't say it um, outright. But as he was saying information is power, he was like, we already had a great meeting, and I think we're well on our way, and I'm really excited about the opportunities. It was like, he clearly has met with the research team, and Paul D. Podesta, and Ken Kovash, and oh, the whole imagine, group. I mean, because imagine Podesta's how been freaking here. cool that would be if you're like an analytically minded coach, and you're like, oh, you're about to hand me the keys, and all of you guys are helping me do this the way I want and to do it. And D. Podesta's been this here already? this whole time, yeah. and he's just been aggregating information on everybody. All the coaches, and now finally, it can actually be used by hopefully our coach and our general manager at the same time. Yeah, another thing that I felt great about was he was stressing in that press conference how methodical they're going to be about filling out the staff. And I think we're all, like, I think the staff is super, super important, and everybody recognizes that. But you get Browns fans, and I'm just as guilty probably as anybody like seeing what's out there and being like, Ooh, we got to get, you know, so-and-so and the big names and you got to get excited. But the reality is, is you want Kevin Stefanski to build a staff that's going to work together and be driving after the same thing and have alignment. And if you can't do that, the name on the defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, it doesn't really matter if they're not all going to be on the same page. And so I'm so glad to hear him saying, like, and he clearly was trying to tell everybody to pump the brakes on, the, on filling out his staff. He's like, we've got a plan. We're going to go through this process, and it might take a little while. Like, that's great. I'm okay with that. And, I, yeah. and again, I feel like we're in a great spot in that there are a lot of good options available. There weren't eight or nine head coaching, uh, you know, vacancies where there's these this crazy swath of full staffs turning over. There was five, and a lot of those key assistant coaches have already found a home, and so like there and there's a broad group of folks that are available across all of the different positions. Honestly, like I can look at you know defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator even specific position coaches, and I can, and I don't know that much, but I can name a handful of people that seem really qualified. Who are good options. At each of those For spots. Sure. So I feel like we are afforded the luxury of being methodical, too, at this point. So it's great. I'm excited about this. So Ryan, Ryan Lindley's staying as the quarterback coach, right? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to guess no. Are there any particular, while we're talking about it, like, do you have any initial thoughts on which assistant coaches you want to see in place? So, yeah, I mean, Prefer, obviously, they've worked together in Minnesota previously. Makes sense. 
Special teams is great. No, I, I think no real need about, to make a change there. It's the first time in so long I felt good about Prefer's it. Prefer's also teams. from Cleveland, so like he probably wants to stick around. Like he, yeah. Like I think that's just a perfect marriage. Um, Campin, I still think is a good coach. Our offensive line, our tackles. That's an interesting are, one to are, me. Are tough. He might bring somebody in because I just don't know if he's run the type of zone blocking scheme that Stefanski seems inclined towards, and so I wonder if the scheme is going to work with Campen. I, I I don't know the answer to that. I've heard I've heard Pete Smith say that he has. Okay, and I I trust okay. him on that way more than me. My own. Eyes. <laughs> well, so, yeah. it also depends on Campen's want to how he yeah. approaches the situation like because he's yeah. an NFL head coach if he wants to learn a new scheme he absolutely can he can coach it well and it wouldn't yeah. be a surprise to see Campin um maybe be desired by Mike McCarthy in Dallas too so, yeah. yeah I don't I don't know if they've got yeah. a an offensive line and then Adam Henry I mean staying as a wide receivers coach he's a guy who's survived multi like head coaches regime changes in the past um in in New York so that makes me think that he's well regarded. This would be his third. This would be his third Browns coaching staff. So Matthew, I'm interested in. But like, I don't really have a knock on our wide receivers. Like he's he's got if if he's getting the job done and he has the relationships and knows how to maintain that room and is a good coach. Why not? Yeah, for sure. It's I'm. It is one of the ones that I'm super interested to see how it plays out. There, I don't know that I have a say one way or the other. There of just seems to I be. I think he should be there or not, or he's a good coach or not. I don't really have a definitive say. I'm interested to see how Stefanski handles that one, yeah. given the relationships that Henry clearly has with OBJ and Landry in particular. Well, there just seems to be coaches in this league. There's like two types. There's one assistant coaches that stay in one place and survive multiple regimes. And then there's coaches who are just like stuck to a head coach. And, and they like follow him all around. Follow that person around. Wait, Michael, I, I, keep going, but I want to unpack what you just said a little bit. No, I mean, Stefanski stuck around through multiple coaching situations in Minnesota. Yep. Adam Henry's done the same to a, to a different extent in New York and then, and then now here in Cleveland. So I, I just wonder if there's not, if there's not a, his personal character or his personality or something that like, makes him yeah. much more amenable and adaptable than yeah. some other coaches. Michael, so what do you think the problem is with Henry and his relationship to Jarvis and OBJ? Like, oh, what, I didn't like, say there's an issue. But like, that's why you said you're interested if he stays around, because they're both here, and I would see that their relationship would only be a good thing, right? Like, I, so I'm curious as to what you were alluding no, to. No, I think it's a good thing, but I don't really know whether Henry is like a particularly good coach or not. Like the one thing I feel like I can definitively say is that he has a good like relationship with those two guys, but is he a good like technical coach? Like I think it's fair to say that Henry, that OBJ and Landry both had issues of knowing their responsibilities like on Sundays this year. Yes. So is that the coach's fault? Is that the, I, I don't have any clue. Whose fault that I'm is. In, I'm but, inclined to think that that's Freddie Kitchen's fault with those reports coming out that he was mocking up entirely new plays out of the blue. Right. I mean, it's easy to like throw that on Freddie Kitchens. But I would I like think, to. I think it's just as likely <laughs> that Adam Henry is yeah. potentially just a bro with those guys, and he gets along with everybody in the locker room, but isn't a very good like X's and O's and like disciplinarian like type coach, like where he's you. holding people accountable. I don't know. But I think there's enough question marks about the way that our wide receivers have performed 
that I think we're gonna <clears throat> for a, a head coach coming in with new <laughs> Matthew's opening a beer, everyone. In case you didn't hear that, he's opening another beer. Wait, S- Michael, sorry, Mike. I cleared my throat to mask that sound. <laughs> How could you? But I, I just think there's questions. I don't think it's clear yeah. that he's a great coach necessarily. And if Stefanski's coming in with a methodical approach and is gonna kind of be assessing everything, I think it's gonna be telling to see if they decides to keep him or not. As he to whether be, he determines he's a good coach or he not. He could be hiding behind be. a shield of his relationship with both of them. And I, I think so. Just curious to you. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's talk more about the Stefanski press conference. I think that he came across as all of the things that Jimmy Haslam said they were looking for. They're looking for someone who is intelligent, which I saw as a direct stab at Freddie Kitchens. I don't know about y'all, but I thought they were dragging Freddie Kitchens. Um, but they were looking for someone who's intelligent, um, for somebody who is going to have a methodical approach and is passionate about football. And I think Stefanski showed those things in spades. One of the things that I really like that he said, um, which I think fits well with our team, is when he said, personality is welcome, your production is required. Like, that is the type of leader that we need. When he said it too, the whole press conference cracked me up because he definitely wasn't 100% comfortable. Like he was relatively comfortable, but he like is not used to being in that spotlight yeah. yet. Like it's going to be fun to watch him. He was him way kind of- more comfortable answering questions than like giving any prepared remarks. Yes. He kept referring to his notes. He'd refer to his notes, see the point he wanted to make, and then deliver it. And then he'd go back to his notes and then deliver the next point. And, you, you know, like he, he wasn't 100% comfortable. But when that point came up, and what was the exact quote about? Personality is welcome. Your production is required. Yeah, people were asking the question about all these personalities yeah. in the Browns locker room. And he said, personality is welcome, but production is required. Required. And it was clearly like one of his mantras. Like there was like no doubt. It was like it just rolled off of his tongue like, this is what we're about. Well, and like, I, wonder, I, just, I wonder so much about before these press conferences, how much like the team PR staff like works with them to prepare what they're going to say and prepare them for answers to questions. And to make because, him likable, like the East side, West side thing. You think that like Stefanski came up with that? Maybe. Or do you I think, think that did. that was the PR thing? No, I think he did. Maybe, but it's like, there are questions that he clearly dodged the question oh, in yeah. his answer. Yeah. And like, that cannot just be Kevin Stefanski, like knowing, like you know that the PR people were like, all right, they're gonna ask you questions about Jimmy Haslam and what Jimmy Haslam said. Yeah, don't say anything. Like if I'm, if focus I'm, on this part of yeah, that. Yeah, like if I'm going up there, yeah. with no prep, I'm just gonna answer honestly, like as myself. Yeah. But yeah, no, for sure. Um, Especially since he's never yeah. been in that role before. Like, no, absolutely. But that's what I loved about that is it clearly wasn't a canned, like, prepared response. It, like, clearly came from it, who he is and what he has, like, sold, you know, what he believes in as a coach. Well, I mean, and this, this may have been his own preparation, but, he, I mean, he was clearly prepped with he – had, he had written that out before. Like, and he knew, like, I'm, there's personalities on this team. Like, I'm going to get asked about this. So, oh, like, what's my, need- what's my, like, go-to – yeah, I, like I line there. So whether it was the PR professionals from the team or himself, just having enough self awareness to know that the team that he's walking into. Yep. No, oh, it was great. Um, also, Kevin Stefanski, handsome fella. It's hard to deny. Yeah, I, it made I got me my jealous. Kevin Stefanski beard going. 
It's yeah, it is. It's nice. Uh, good, it, it's a good, good not, thickness. Yeah, not nearly as gray as as his salt and peppery. But which, you're about to hit thirty. You've got seven more years to catch up. I'll probably be gray by then. <laughs> at, at this rate, no, g- good looking guy. We we've really gone the complete opposite direction. Like <laughs> like this and this is not me bashing Freddie for for anything. But it it is just kind of comical. Like the the idea that. In the NFL, oftentimes it happens like you fire an offensive coach, you hire a defensive coach. You know, like you you look for the opposite of what you just had, and the fact that we have like a a analytically minded, no ego, young, thin, handsome guy. Oh, he is, is so handsome. Is we, really we were just talking about it. I know it's striking. It's like, man, look at that guy. I mean, like, that's the if, gorgeous. If, when when you're making a new coaching hire, people always talk about like. Signing like getting a new coach that's the antithesis of your old coach. That's what Matthew just said. Oh, okay. yeah. Mark just really came did. from the back from the sorry, bathroom. Sorry. Everyone, sorry. Really, no, that's ex- really that's exactly what he is. I want to know what is Freddie Kitchens gonna do? What's his next career step? He'll be a position coach somewhere, and he'll be. I think Freddie Kitchens Down in Tampa. Is, I think Freddie Kitchens is a good football coach. Like I don't like. I just don't think he can handle all the responsibilities as being a head coach and everything that goes with it. Like I, I don't have anything against Freddie Kitchens. I've been listening um, on the Ryan Rosillo podcast. He was saying when when Freddie was hired, he reached out to some of the people that he knows in the league to like kind of get a download on him. Yeah, and the common response was the best guy in the world. Unbelievable. You'd love to hang out with him. Yeah. I cannot believe he is a head coach in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. The people I know that knew him said the same thing last off season. So, um, yeah, it's pretty consistent across the board. Good dude. Good dude. Freddie Kitchens. So just... go, going back to Stefanski's physical appearance, if we could, <laughs> um, do you think Michael and Matthew, that your wives will be more interested in watching Cleveland Browns games now that he's our head coach? Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But I mean, you know, it can't hurt. What I also love is it they, wouldn't bother me at all if that's what you know. What I also love is part of the rollout they did all the whole like photo shoot thing. I think the only photo we got of Freddie last year was him like signing the contract, smiling up at the camera. We already knew what Freddie would look like. We already had Freddie in the colors and true. Everything. But imagine doing the same photo shoot with freddie freddie throwing a football up in the air on the field <laughs> that's true it'd be pretty great yeah, and a, it's wide, like, a wide angle <laughs> lens where you can see just how big he really is and like and it's like i don't know that that's intentional but it's subtle like yes. like you just know you're not gonna do that with freddie like it, it's not uh, putting your best foot forward no one you even... hire kevin savansky you're like glamour shots yeah let's go we're gonna go let's with the a... gq like cover story style uh, uh yeah Absolutely. That that card is now on the table. The sex appeal is back in Cleveland. Oh man. Good for Kevin Stefanski. All right. He's so, a family man too. I like that. We, He's got a daughter and two boys, it sounds like. He had his whole he had like a couple brothers there and his dad at the press conference. Works for, what I like is his dad works for the Pistons and like he understands professional sports and like the requirements of it it's like there's the politics of it the like whole yeah. shebang yeah absolutely and he's he's got that not to mention like his professional like network obviously he could call people but like the relationship part of that managing 
personalities, he's going to be able to like sound off his dad. Um, something we haven't talked about since we, since we recorded last. What the heck are we going to do with all our Dorsey gear? I know uh, it's sad. It's a good question. It was. It was Mark, kinda, what are you doing with the shoes? They're sitting uh, in my house actually right Michael's now. Michael's got them. I think <laughs> I borrowed them and never gave them back. Never will have to. Well, we could just give them to Dad. Probably, he'd, <laughs> it. he'd be pretty thankful. Uh, Thanks, guys. Yeah, wow, neat. I really thought we were going to get a little more run out of the whole Dorsey thing. I'm glad we took advantage of our opportunity at the Senior Bowl last year. Yeah, we did. It was a good run. And you know who we talked to in our Dorsey getup at the Senior Bowl last year? Lonzo High School. Andrew Barry. Yeah, I know. We didn't really talk to Andrew Barry. We wanted to talk to Andrew Barry. We said like, "Hi." Go Browns or something like no, that. No, Andrew Barry came by when we talked to Alonzo Highsmith. You yeah, talked. You talked to Alonzo Highsmith. Didn't we also chat with Andrew Barry? I did and not. Like he, no, like, no, I was I stalking we, Andrew Barry and wanted to talk to Andrew Barry, and we didn't get a chance. To. We saw him multiple times, and we we tried to seek him out. But Alonzo Highsmith is who y'all talked to while I went to go pee. Yeah. That's right. Which was a huge disappointment. To which, me. speaking of, that was a highlight of the De Podesta interview. Not one of the highlights to me was they asked him about Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith and he spoke very glowingly about their participation in the head coaching search the fact that they are both knee deep in NFL draft preparation well they and they both should be because they've been following Dorsey around or I mean I don't know if they really worked in Kansas City but like John Dorsey's not the person to follow in the NFL in 2020 like, I don't know what John Dorsey's next job in the NFL is, if there is one. Yeah. So it's like, you got to start. John Dorsey's next job is going to be the job that Jimmy Haslam offered him as a step down in the Browns organization, is my guess. Like, I don't think anyone's going to give him the keys anymore. Who's he going to work under? Gettleman? Yeah. Like, like he, he could go, to, is he going to go to New York? <laughs> He's like, man, you really fleece me. Do that for me now. <laughs> that would be great. Teach me. Like, I, I just don't know how many organizations are out there who I are think looking he, for a John Dorsey. I think that if you put him in a strictly, like, talent evaluation role, like, I think he can be fine. And where he has to report to somebody else and isn't the one calling all the shots. But like, does he want to do that? Is, is, well, if he wants that. to keep working in the NFL, I think that's what he's going to have to do, is my point. And he wasn't willing to take the humility pill and do that in Cleveland. But I think that's what he's going to have to do if he wants to go elsewhere. I mean, yeah. can't, that's. I mean, we would love to have him in our organization, right? As someone who's scouting players, but, and but I don't as I a mean, part of our draft process. So and, people people say that, and he has a reputation as being a really good talent evaluator. Yeah, I don't know that his record in Cleveland was great with his with his talent evaluation and then subsequent like player management of that that talent. I think that was more of the issue was the management of the talent and like having and jettisoning certain players like a Rashard Higgins or a Jannard Avery and like things like that. And in Joku, maybe to some degree, like I, everyone seems to be pointing the finger at, um, but none of the, none of those guys were his, his draft picks. I mean, Avery you could, was, you go to Avery. Yeah. Who it's like, I think it was a great pick. <laughs> like, honestly, like, do, and we, he, do we give you credit for it? I don't know. <laughs> Like, yeah. like you did some good and bad, and then you you really blew that Austin but Corbett pick, and ended up with nothing. So he doesn't get credit for it, right? So yeah. I'm, I I just don't know, like if he's he's got a reputation for being a great talent evaluator. I don't know how much benefit the Browns got from. Him. 
Well, I mean, look at where the Browns are right now compared to where we were before we had John Dorsey. Look at what he built in Kansas City. But, but, it's, the, now... but it's the amount of draft capital that, that he had coming in. Like, we, were, we didn't have a quarterback, but we had the number one pick. So that's an easy problem to solve. And he didn't pick Sam Darnold, and he didn't pick Josh Rose. But, like, to be honest, if he picks Sam Darnold, we're probably right in the same position. Like, we feel pretty good about where we're at. Like, most people in the league think Sam Darnold's going to still be pretty good. Yeah. So, you... But he picked Baker Mayfield. He picked and he Baker. picked Denzel Ward, which everyone was very upset about. And... That's worked out, that's worked out well. But Bradley Chubb, who everybody else wanted, like, also would have worked out well. I mean, you're, you're just... I don't know. He, he had a ton to work with, and... When he didn't have like the easy selections to make, I don't think that the track record's really there for, for, for being that great. I'm personally glad that he's not the one managing our cap going forward. So I'm very glad that he's out of the building. Um, can we talk about the De Podesta interview just a little bit more? We talked about it with Grandpa. We've alluded to it a few different times. But um, I had so much, I took so much joy from that. oh absolutely i mean we haven't heard from him in front of the camera since he was hired alongside sashi like four years ago oh it was yeah. awesome one of my favorite interactions when someone started to ask a question to paul and they eventually they scrapped it and they were like wait actually paul what is it that you do yeah he was like stumbling <laughs> over his words what do you, what do you do <laughs> he was so good in front of the camera too it was awesome Yes. He was he was just like he handled everything right in stride, deflected and brought some humor. Like he was like, you know, my kids ask me that same question all the time. They want to know what I do all the time. And I mean his answer to that question was basically just providing process. Yep. And accountability for such process throughout the entire organization. Yeah, a unified a unified vision, I think is. Yeah, and then somebody the quick follow-up question was, so the NFL draft is coming up, are you going to be involved in the draft? And he goes, "Oh, yeah." Like, of course. Of course. Yes, like very involved. And he's like, "Am I going to be picking the players?" No. No. No, I'm not going to be making a selection, but, but I'm going to be helping put a process in place by which we all evaluate and make sound decisions about which players are selected. There are scouts that their full-time job is to evaluate the talent and you know provide information for us to make the best decisions possible yeah. as part of that process and my job is to bring them all me. together and hold us all accountable and make sure that we stay on the same on the same page and it's like yes thank yeah you and much. one of the things that he said um in the press conference was that he's been on a lot of different with a lot of different sports organizations and the one thing that he's seen that creates a successful organization time and time again is a unified vision Everyone working on everyone towards, has their way. Everyone has their way, but it is there is a way to do it. Like there's not one way to do it, but you have to be everyone working towards your way to do it. Yep. And for the first time, I feel like with this Stefanski hire, with Paul DiPesta, and if we get Andrew Barry as our GM or someone like that, I feel like for the first time we will actually have a way. We will be going in one direction without people fighting diametrically opposed for Jimmy Haslam's ear um, in order to get their own way. Um, and so that, that from that entire press conference, that was the thing that got me most excited is yes, of course it makes perfect sense. I just pray that we start off on a positive note. 
Like, I just... There's so many factors and things that can come into play. Like, you can do everything right. Do you mean... And you, things can go... You know, like, you can have some crazy injuries. Like, you know, the key players could go down at the beginning of next season, and we start to lose, and then all of a sudden it looks like the path they set forward isn't working. For once, can things just line up right for the Browns? And for us to, like start the season on a high note and go in the right trajectory, make the playoffs, whether we like go 14 and two or whether we sneak in at like nine and seven, I don't really give a crap, but I want to make the playoffs and have a little feather in our cap to prove that the way and the process that is set in place is working so we can just stay in one direction. So, so I, I look forward to that too. I also look forward to the first time we lose a game because we were because we were like hyper aggressive and like it didn't work out. We go we for were, two. We were making the right calls from a from a data analytical like like win probability standpoint, right. but it didn't work in our just favor. like the Ravens this past weekend. They yeah. went for fourth and one a bunch of times exactly. and didn't get and it. And everybody just like loses their freaking mind. Oh, because we didn't do it the way that like NFL traditionally does it. Ignoring the fact that we have probably increased our win probability in other games and or won games because, because of, of it. Oh, but you the, betcha. The one bad result is just going to send everybody off the deep end. Well, I mean, yes, it absolutely is. And they're going to continue on that deep end. And they're going to continue. Like the recency bias in the NFL is just going to be a huge problem, especially in something like that. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen. I also, I also hope we are the team that goes for two every single time. Like, like I. I if it might be David Tepper and, and the organization he's building in, in Carolina has, has the same kind of like bent to it, but somebody is going to become that team that goes for two every single time. And I hope it's us. I hope it's, I, I, I hope I, we go for two every single time. I and I hope we go for it on fourth down way above what we have in the past. I think there's situations where going for two is not the wise decision. Yeah, yeah, near the near the end of the game when yes. you're when you're playing certain specific in the fourth quarter. like win probably no for yeah. sure for sure but you you in score in the first quarter you score in the first half go for two yes I'm a, I'm third in quarter go that. for two under most situations I would love it I'd be a fan too not gonna Man, lie I feel like if you did that which I'm on, largely in favor of it would take a lot of creativity from a coaching and and like play calling standpoint oh it's got to be so fun to be like oh okay now we need like a lot of goal line plays <laughs> like it's a lot which is the thing you need to have the most and be the best at like if you're really good at going for two when you get into the red zone and when you get on the goal line you're going to score S- spend spend because like a practiced... fourth of your practice time just working on offensive goal line but also i feel like success begets success in that where once you show like a bunch of really successful like plays that you've scored on, now you've got all that on tape, and that's all opponents are worried about is all the ones that you've shown. And now you have a million options at your disposal. And so you can play off of that to yep. kind of work yourself into a favorable situation. Um, it's just going to be awesome. I, I, I really hope that... I'm optimistic. I really hope that the analytical bent to this whole front office coaching staff is drastic. Yes, I, I completely Kind agree. of what we expected when we like put Sashi Brown in charge of the organization, 
but then forgot that we had Hugh Jackson as our head coach and that that wasn't ever going to work. And I think it's important to say pretty much every coach wins the press conference. Every team is pretty optimistic at, at this stage of the game. Yeah, Shermer was pretty bad. Um, but like even Hugh Jackson, whenever he went to that press conference and everyone was so excited because he was clearly the best candidate, according to everyone, that was covering the offseason. San year. Francisco wanted to interview him. There was the so, Giants, I think, wanted to interview him. Well, the we Giants wanted almost hired him. San Francisco wanted to interview him before they hired Kyle Shanahan. We hired him quick. Or Chip Kelly but, or somebody. But, like, you can pull quotes out of that talk uh, with Hugh Jackson talking about how he valued the conversations he'd had with Sashi and talking about what analytics was going to bring to the table. So, like, this stage of the game can be a lot of talk. And really, what we see on Sundays in the fall is what we can judge this whole thing by. Like, we're optimistic about what it could be. But we'll see how drastic the change actually is. I, I expect it to be based on the process that's been laid out and the fact that they're even putting De Podesta in front right now. Like, he clearly is going to be the fall guy if this doesn't work out. Um, Which I think he's fine with at this point. He's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, I've been here for four years. You haven't listened to me yeah. publicly yeah. In, in any of these situations. So give me my shot. If it doesn't work, so be it. I don't think he's a particular individual that's hurting for job opportunities. I would love to know what other like who who, who calls else has him, been calling. Yeah. Who calls him on a fairly regular basis to see if he's interested in, in going to do something else? What kind of restraint? Can you imagine that actually like putting yourself in his shoes, working under Jimmy Haslam, seeing him not take your advice, but you know you're getting paid and it's pretty like it's it's going all right. I, but, like, just sticking with it instead of, like, taking that next call? Well, at, at the level that he's working at, I actually think it's probably pretty rare that I get the impression he gets to kind of name his own schedule as far as, like, days that he's in Cleveland, days he's in San Diego. He's, he's not just, like, working whenever the hell he wants to, you yep. know? But, like, he's got a place where his family's settled. He wants to be there permanently if he goes and takes another job i don't know how many people are offering that so i don't know how many kids he has anything like that but it's probably a situation where he 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 has three kids one daughter two sons he thinks this is working out pretty well no that's stefanski i was gonna say that's possible but (laughs) ironic like um Anyways, I loved hearing from Paul De Podesta. I think today. Paul De Podesta would make a great commissioner of a sports league. The dude is super intelligent. Super, super intelligent. Like, Paul De Podesta should be the next commissioner of Major League Baseball. Um, Get Rob Manfred out of Or there. the NFL. Either one the would NFL. be fine. Either one. Yeah. You could play them against each other. Or try a new sport. <laughs> Why not? Oh, man. All right, what else do we need to talk about? GM candidates, that's kind of the next big um, domino to fall for this Browns off, don't we off only season. Have, don't we only have two? Only two that I know of with Andrew Barry and George Patton, the assistant GM. Okay, they said his name, and it's not Patton. It's like Peyton. Is it? Yeah. It looks like Patton? Uh, yeah, it looks like Patton. I mean, it's Patton with, no, with only one T instead of two Ts. But I assumed it was Patton as well. 
And somebody said it in one of the press conferences today, and it was Peyton. And I was like, oh, okay, Ben. Huh, Peyton. George Peyton. And I might even be pronouncing it right, but it wasn't Patton, whatever it was. Um, Patton. I mean, we know, we have some familiarity with Andrew Barry, so I feel like everyone seems to be inclined in that direction. And the Haslam seem to know and be very favorable with the idea of bringing Andrew Barry back. He's think- worked with everyone in the building. Like, he knows all of the players that are there. It feels like a fairly seamless transition, but I don't know that it necessarily means it's the best solution. Well, so maybe it's not. However, I would feel so great about Andrew Barry coming back because, because he knows everybody in the building. Yeah. And he's, he doesn't need this job anymore. He has a job currently. He has other teams pursuing him. And he, like, willingly and knowingly chooses to come back to Cleveland. It like, would make us feel good about, like, the situation like the structure, and our right. team. It, yeah. Like, there's everybody talking about how much of a dumpster fire, like, Cleveland is. If you've got a guy like Andrew Barry, who's 31 years old, has the world, like, the NFL world by the balls. Like, ev- he has lots of opportunities in front of him. Lots of yep. opportunities. And he chooses to come to Cleveland. He's not going to chase the title of GM. Like, he knows that's in his future. Like, he doesn't have to. But he wants to work with Paul D. Podesta. He wants to work with Kevin Stefanski. He believes in what's happening here in Cleveland. Like, that's going to speak more to me than anything else. Yep. No, I think it's good. It'll be a nice, like, interesting barometer um, of where things are at. Like... It looks like the Panthers wanted to hire him for a similar level position to what he currently has, and he got blocked. But he has been granted an interview with the Browns, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. I would guess that what is going on here, and this is just pure speculation on my side of reading the tea leaves, but I would guess that he is going to spend a bunch of time with Stefanski. And it's like those are the two guys that don't know each other, right? Yeah. And they got to work together a hell of a lot. Well, like, they, they know each other from last year's interview process. From interview pro- but that's not yeah. like anything they're, crazy. They're familiar with each other. They're familiar so, yeah. with each other, but like they have not worked hand in hand, whereas Andrew Barry has basically worked hand in hand with everyone else in the Browns organization. He, he left within the last year. It was last summer that he left to go to the Eagles. Like he hasn't been gone that long. I would also like it because I don't know what their working relationship is like, but he and Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith have all worked together. Yeah. They know each other. So you'll, those people will know if they're going to stay or if they're going to go. Right, like, it's not going to be, will this work together? Right. You know? I would imagine somebody like Elliot Wolf, who's young and upcoming, would be willing to work there. Yeah. He'll, he'll have a more elevated role now that some people are cleared out of the organization, most likely. And he's more willing to stay. Alonzo Highsmith probably has other options for talent evaluation jobs all across. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. My initial gut reaction is that Highsmith would be more apt to leave and Wolf might be more apt to stay. Yeah. But I don't know if that's true or not. I could be completely wrong on that. Anyways. Uh, I mean, but the George Patton thing or Patton, whatever the hell his name is, Patton, Peyton. What did I say before? I said Peyton before. You said Peyton. Should it be like Patron, but no R? Patone. Patone. (laughs) 
Uh, how do you George pronounce Patone. this guy's name? Dang it. Let's just hire Andrew Barry so we don't have yeah. to worry about it. It'll be a lot That's easier. That's easy. Um, the defensive coordinator candidates. What do you think about the DC candidates? So I'm really interested about this guy from Minnesota. Minnesota just fired George Edwards. The, re, like fired or let go, whatever you want to call it. Contract lapsed. His contract lapsed and chose not to re up it. Their yeah. defensive coordinator. That's been a good defense. Very good defense. Under Mike Zimmer. So obviously Mike Zimmer probably has a significant say. Defense has been his calling card his entire career. He's been a successful defensive coordinator. But yes. But it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, seemingly had been doing a good job. I don't know if that's a red flag to me or not. I saw reports that Mike Zimmer's son is the, the favorite for that job. So maybe maybe it was just uh, wanting to give your son an opportunity. Like the NFL's nepotism is coming back to I've it. heard a few different people. I think Sage Rosenfels was on Locked on Browns with uh, Jeff Lloyd not, uh, within the last day or so and talked about how hard it is to like work for Mike Zimmer. Like, I think Mike Zimmer is just kind of an abrasive person. Like people like him. Like I think players like, like him, but it's like a love hate type situation. Like I think he's kind of abrasive. And so I think that coaches that are successful underneath that tutelage can occasionally make the decision to move on to like a situation yeah. that's going to be a little smoother. Like, you know, like, so put, potentially he had an opportunity to resign and he was like, nah. no, thanks. I think I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll take my chances, I'll go to the next, go to the next spot. And so whether that means he thinks he's got a chance to come to the Browns, that might be the case. I don't know. But I mean, even looking outside of that and people Stefanski has directly worked with, we saw reports yesterday and it almost seemed like it was done, but I don't, now that we're almost 24 hours later, I don't think it's done as much as it was reported from Dustin Fox and some others about Wade Phillips potentially coming on board I would love as it. the defensive coordinator. Seems like a great situation. Like there are, there's that video that's been posted around about Sean McVay talking within the last couple of years about how instrumental he was been as a sounding board and as a former head coach and just his personality of like not, it, it just seems like he would be so seamless, bring a lot to the table from an experience standpoint. He clearly has been able to work with different types of personnel and maximize the talent that he has available. I think he would be great. The only downside about Wade Phillips, in my opinion, is that the dude's 72 years old, and like it's not a long-term solution. But I think it's a great short-term solution for a first-time head coach, for a guy like Kevin Stefanski. Like you get him, even if it's just for two years. Like I think that's a great transition period. Get Kevin Stefanski under, like, with his feet underneath him a little bit. Even if it's just for one year. Like, right. Even if Wade coaches one year and then it's like, yeah, you know, I'm ready to, ready to hang it up. I think it's a great transition situation for a guy that, like, I don't think you could really have better credentials than anything that Wade Phillips has to bring to the table. Yeah, and I think we're looking at defensive coordinator for, for somebody who's done it before. I mean, there's guys out there who have been hot names like Chris Richard from, from Dallas. That would be a, a really interesting hire because he's really well regarded yep. and even interviewed for the Giants head coaching position. But he's never been the defensive coordinator before, never called plays. So now you're introducing another kind yep. of like first time yep. person into that like higher upper echelon leadership. So, so we'll see where we go. But it could be influenced by who the offensive staff is. If you've got Gary Kubiak coming in, like his 
potentially been talked about as an offensive coordinator or senior offensive assistant. Maybe like that's all the support about. that a Stefanski needs right. to be like the sound, the And then you go get a board. young defensive coach, and that's fine. We've got enough experience yep. there to be a sounding board that, that it's not something you have to worry about. Those are my thoughts, exactly. Um, um, like, I think that Stefanski is going to want and need, and I think that he saw the value of having that type of individual in the room oh, with Kubiak he, this he last year. He talked about it in his, in his press conference, just yeah. how important having Kubiak there was. Yeah. And, and how so, much he like, thinks the world of that guy. I would expect for someone of that ilk to be on this staff in a pretty senior capacity. And it will be interesting to see whether it's a defensive coordinator or if it's going to be an offensive staff Well, haven't Kubiak and Phillips worked together in – didn't they work together in Houston? Wasn't Kubiak the head coach and Phillips was the D coordinator? Wasn't I thought Phillips was their head coach. No. Phillips was the head coach of the Cowboys for a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe they did. That would be interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got a previous relationship. Like, that, that could all work out extremely well. So, anyways, I am super interested to see where that goes. But Chris Richard was the other name I wanted to mention. I mean, like, I feel so fortunate that we have, like, legitimate options. Like, there's been so many coaching searches where we hire our coach, and it's like a Pat Shermer. And they're like looking to, I feel like we're scraping the absolute bottom of the barrel for qualified coaches. And I thought we actually put together a really great staff last year. I don't, I still feel good about the staff that Freddie Kitchens had. It was just the, the head of the chart was, was not ideal. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to Steve Wilkes coming, but I know Steve Wilkes has taken his lumps from, from certain portions of Brown's fandom, but he wouldn't be the worst person to bring back to run the defense in the second year our defense was really good through the first half it was good until we sustained a few injuries and a suspension from the best nfl potential defensive player defensive player yeah yeah um i mean i i it wouldn't be an awe-inspiring or like exciting thing to do he's got a ton of experience he was a head coach for a year you know what does concern me about that is like i was a little I was surprised. There was initial reports that um, Ron Rivera was going to take him to Washington, and that didn't come true. Did we let him interview, though? Because he's I don't under think contract. We, I don't think we blocked him. I mean, I, I don't know. But, I mean, we've had, other, we've had other coaches go elsewhere. Yeah. But. Tosh LaPoy or whatever his name is. I don't, I don't think anybody was, like, worried about filling that role. Yeah. So, anyways. <sighs> It'll be interesting. It's an exciting time for the Browns. I, I suspect, as Stefanski kind of alluded to, I don't think the Browns coaching staff will be filled out until after the Super Bowl is over. I strongly suspect there's some folks on the 49ers offensive staff. Good gracious. Who are, if we get Mike McDaniel as our offensive coordinator, oh, oh I would love it. I might, I, I, I could do some crazy things in celebration like i would be so hearing andrew hawkins talk about mike mcdaniel mike mcdaniel was like 28 years old when he was coaching andrew hawkins yeah and And andrew and he's like he's the smartest coach i've ever had yeah and he was i was listening to that episode of tomahawk show just yesterday i guess and he was talking about how the browns put him in charge of undrafted free agents like evaluating talent for undrafted free agents. did you hear this no and it was the off season that we picked up Kawan Williams, 
the yes. slot corner that's still starting crushing for the San Francisco 49ers. For the 49ers. Yeah. Isaiah Crowell, um, Taylor Gabriel, and somebody else. But it was like four like insanely impactful undrafted just, rookie free agents. Dude just knows football. Yeah. Like he can see it, he can coach it, he's smart, he's um had some personal issues with an alcohol problem that is by all reports if if his personal references come back clean where he's got his head screwed on straight and like it and by all reports that that is the case he could be a tremendous tremendous hire and probably would have already been hired as an offensive coordinator or a head coach somewhere if he hadn't lost some time to to substance abuse so anyways i think there's lots of positive op- there's son- tons of great options and what you hear everyone talk about Kevin Stefanski, he seems like a great person to work for. Like I, you want a coach to be up there and say whatever's best for the team. You want a guy that's going to be willing to defer to. Oh, and if they the if they brought in if they there. brought in Mike McDaniel, I could see Kevin Stefanski getting up in his introductory press conference and saying, "We don't know who's going to call plays. Like we're we'll figure that out." Yeah, like as it goes, and I and I actually fully trust that they'll they'll figure it out over the course of the preseason, and they'll be calling plays. The best person will be calling plays. The thing that does give me pause, though, in thinking back to how we always feel good after these after these coaching like press conferences, is we felt so great about Freddie Kitchens being flexible last year too, and that didn't prove to be the case at all throughout the course of the season. Like this time last year when Freddie was being announced, we were like, he's the guy that goes and talks to the whole offensive staff and talks about in the players and says, what plays are your favorite? What do you want to go with? And he's listening to the whole crowd. It didn't and prove everything. to be true. And it wasn't even close to true. Like it wasn't even close to true. And I don't know if it was just sitting in that seat and he like became a different person and clammed up. I don't know if it was just he had too much on his plate. but it seems like that is one of the possible outcomes for Kevin Stefanski just as well. He's just about as inexperienced as Freddie Kitchens. I don't think that you had to the point that we've made already from people that know each of them. I think Kevin Stefanski has received rave reviews from anyone that's coached with him or knows him and see Kevin Stefanski as a head coaching caliber coach. Whereas I don't think that that you could have easily made that case for Freddie Kitchens last year. What do you think happens if the Browns hired Kevin Stefanski last year? Like, is there an argument? There is an argument to be made. How valid do you think it is that the long-term future of the Browns is actually significantly improved by Kevin Stefanski being hired in 2020 and not 2019 in a structure with John Dorsey at the like top. I think there's two ways to look at this. I think you can look at this and say, what if the Browns hired him last year? What did, what did he get from last year to this year? I think the big thing is time with Gary Kubiak and actually getting to call the place. Like, so he was a guy that actually got to, he owned the offense this year and had input from somebody with experience like Gary Kubiak. Before and got, that, he was the interim to, offensive coordinator after Filippo got let go. Correct. He kind of just got thrown into the job in the last half of the year, stewarded it well, 
And then this past year, he got to work alongside someone with experience. I personally love the fact that he worked in that type of environment and pulled these different pulled these different voices towards a unified vision that was a very successful offense. I think that bodes well for him as a head coach. He, he proved himself in a way that, that he can do this over the course of a year, but he also got the experience of working next to Kubiak, who would still be a head coach in this league if he didn't have his yeah. own health issues. Your question was about whether the Browns are better off by hiring him this year versus doing it last year. And I personally believe that if we had hired him last year, we would have made the playoffs and we probably would have been in a better position than we were hiring Freddie Kitchens. And he would have been able to build off of his first year lumps and whatever. So I don't, it's hard to say whether the Browns are definitively better off one way or the other. I think the Browns would be feeling better about their, like their season at this point in time. If we had hired Stefanski last year is my guess. Um, but I don't think that our future has been negatively impacted by not hiring him last year and hiring him now instead. I, I think that we have just as much opportunity going forward. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I also think that there is a possibility that if he is going to be a very good head coach in this league, working in a structure with a guy like John Dorsey, who has his own opinions, you know, about could have potentially limited that versus the structure he's going to be in now. That's a great point. So, so last year was, was a wash. It's a sunk cost at this point. But I think with the structure that we're putting him in now, if he is going to succeed, which we don't know if he will, but if he will, the ceiling is higher for, for the long-term success than if we hired him last year, we made the playoffs. We're not making changes. Like teams that go to the playoffs don't fire general managers, don't make front office changes. No, you're like, right. Dorsey that's going to be around. together yep. for, for a while. And I don't know that that relationship would have worked out long term. So it, it could have stifled growth, potential opportunity, and such, so forth. So, I mean, as strange as it is, there, there is a possibility that this works out way better for the long term that we had Freddie Kitchens be uh, a caretaker manager for a year until we figured out what we needed to be. Yeah. No, it's not the worst situation at all. So, any final thoughts before we close this out? No. Let's wrap this baby up. Woo! So glad to be back in the offseason. So. <laughs> Those last, like, three, four games were just stressful. We were like in the playoff hunt for a while and just kept losing. Oh my God. So bad. So well, that'll be it for today. Thank y'all for listening. Um, as always, follow us on Twitter at Sin of Our Fathers. We have an Instagram at Sin of Our Fathers. If you have anything you want to talk about, send us an email, sinofourfathers at gmail.com. Also, go on iTunes and give us a five star rating if you would. Leave a comment there. We'll. We'll, we'll, we'll check in on it, maybe respond to it on the podcast. We appreciate your ratings. It helps, helps our podcast reach other viewers. Please recommend us to your friends if you have anybody who's interested. We've got some ideas for what we want to do during the offseason. I know we've got some, some, some guests that we've done some preliminary work on getting on the pod that should be pretty interesting. Um, I don't think we know what our schedule is going to be, but we'll, we'll definitely uh, record and come at you 
as things happen when they're relevant. No doubt about it. It might not be every week, but it, for the next couple of weeks, we'll 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 be back at you as I, the coaching staff comes together. We'll 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 be with you. Absolutely. I need a break. I think y'all need a break. <laughs> Michael needs a break. Mark definitely needs a break. He's not even healthy. Um, but but we'll be back at you. I couldn't be more excited. And granted, I am like the prime like target market for this Browns team right now. The analytic analytic bent. But I'm so excited about the future of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, it it has shocked me how much negativity I've seen on Twitter for this particular hire. And I'm sure that it's going to continue to get more and more positive. But the congratulatory excitement tweet that I sent out, like right as the Stefanski hire. Oh, you got a bunch of hate responses. It was all hate responses. I mean, there was like, there was a couple of people that were like, thank you, thank you. How dare you? First of all, I've never had more response to anything, but it was all because it was negative. Like no one agreed with me. Like that was the whole reason it was like responded to was because everyone thought I was a lunatic. I think, I think Benjamin Albright like touched on this in a tweet the other day when he was, when he was talking about some local media members and he was just reminding everybody that like hate sells. Like, like if you, if you write an article that's like bashing a team, like that's going to get clicks. And I think that's what you experienced yep. on Twitter. Oh, saw it firsthand. People hated your tweet. I think I have 200-something followers on Twitter, and I have over six, almost 600 likes on that particular tweet, which the like is, you know, it, you know more negative Probably in most of these positive. cases. Almost all of these comments, there's like 80-something comments are like, you're an idiot. What are you talking about? Haslam's an idiot. He has no idea what's going on. I mean, you are an idiot. I won't. I won't. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back with you as we start filling out the staff and excitement continues to grow for this Cleveland Browns 2020 team. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.